It's a rainy day outside, but we're here. Nice and toasty, maybe too toasty, but we're here in the presence of the Lord. Before you're seated, I'm going to read our text today. And today is the final day of the series that I started back on February 7th. And why in the world are we here? And we've looked at a number of things from that kind of all-encompassing message that we are in His image and for His glory. And then we looked at the fact that we are made to be in the body of Christ, in the family of God. We're made to serve in His kingdom. We're made to expand His reign through evangelism. Last week we looked at we are made to magnify His greatness, which is about praise. And today we want to look at we are made to grow in God's likeness. Once again, I'm going to leave the book of Acts and go to 2 Peter today. And I just so happened that the church that we were a part of in St. Louis uh, for 22 years uh, popped up on my phone today that they were going live. They, they have a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock service. Uh, due to COVID there. And uh, so I was listening slash watching the message as I was doing some things around here, the service, and then uh, the guy got up to preach, one of the young, younger ministers in the church, and he preached from this exact text today. And uh, so I texted him in the middle of his sermon, but he didn't respond until after he was done. But he just said he was just talking to somebody there about how God is speaking to his people and speaking to the church about the need to grow in our faith, the need to be everything that God has called us to be. And so today I'm going to preach to grow in God's likeness. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 from the New American Standard. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That said, I'm going to preach for a little bit. Grow in God's likeness. Grow in God's likeness. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Maturity is something that all of us strive for. And when you're, when you're growing up, there is a, a sense, at least there was for me, that I, I was just never going to be as mature as I needed to be. When I thought about getting married, I was like, 
man, I'm not ready for this. I'm, I'm not mature enough to do this and to take care uh, of a family and, and then getting ready to have children. It's like, man, I don't know that I'm ready for this to be a dad. But, but there is uh, something about this idea of maturity and then we're, we're frequently worried about it. But sometimes and most times maybe we rise to the occasion and responsibility brings about maturity. And so as we have responsibility, we mature and we're able to handle what's coming. And it is an assumption that though when you grow old, you are wise and you have all kinds of maturity. And typically speaking, that is the case. But there is also the possibility that there are people who are older. I'm going to be 49 in three weeks. There are people who are, I'm getting old. There are people who are old that are not necessarily mature. They're not necessarily wise. They've got a lot of years, but they haven't really attained to the, the wisdom and the maturity that they need to. And all of you could probably think of people like that that are very irresponsible and they just never did get it. And in the Bible, it, it equates growing old with wisdom and maturity and that when you get gray hair, it is an assumption that you are all, uh, all of a sudden you're wise and you're mature because of the years and the experience that you have had. But in the Christian life, time doesn't always equate to maturity. That you can be a Christian for decades, it doesn't make you a mature Christian. It doesn't mean that whenever you, you, just, you come to God and you get saved, that ten years down the road you're automatically just going to be a mature disciple of Jesus Christ or a, a mature Christian. It doesn't just happen automatically. There is some things that need to take place in the Christian life. The Bible tells us, Paul wrote in Romans, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It says the image of His Son, speaking of Jesus Christ. But we are predestined to be conformed to that image, which means that, that we're not in His image fully now. That there is a process that will take place to get us from where we are to where God wants us to be to get us from our, our new birth experience to a mature Christian in His image. The question I have for you, a few questions, is God satisfied for us to be immature believers? Is He satisfied just for us to believe, or does He want us to grow? Does He want us to be mature? Does He want us to work toward being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Is God satisfied just to have a salvation experience and no change is needed after that? I would tell you in the Christian culture that we're in, that's frequently the case for, for many churches and many organizations. Just accept Jesus as your Savior and nothing else has to change in your life. Pray a prayer. Make a declaration. Don't worry about anything else ever again because now you're saved automatically and you don't need to grow, you don't need to mature. I, I would tell you, though, that I don't believe that God is satisfied with us just coming to Him and believing in Him, but we need to experience the new birth, that, that repentance, that water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But that's not enough either. He wants us to mature and to be uh, mature believers in Christ. So what could we do or what should we do to be the mature believers that God has called us to be? Our text started in verse 5 today. I want to read the first four verses of Peter's second epistle, though, to kind of set the context of this. He, 
He starts off in verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, I'm writing to people, they've received the same salvation, they've received the same faith. He said, we, are, we have been partakers of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that we need to achieve life in Him and to achieve godliness, He has granted to us. Through the knowledge, the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, for by these He granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So he says God has granted us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. He has granted us precious and magnificent promises. He says we are partakers of the divine nature. And then it gets to our text, and our text starts with this word, now, for this very reason. Because God has given us all of these things. He's given us salvation. He's given us precious and and magnificent promises. He's given us uh, the ability to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, for this very reason, ultimately what he's saying is, now grow. I've saved you. I've done all of this work in your life. Now grow and now mature as a believer in Christ. I want to give you five principles of growth from from this chapter, five principles of spiritual growth and maturity that God wants us to follow if we're going to be the people that He has called us to be. The first thing is this, that growing requires diligence. Look at your neighbor and say, diligence. Diligence. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Diligence, that means it is an intentional idea. It is, it is to, be, uh, to spend energy, it is to spend time in applying diligence. That it's not enough just to show up and, and be a Christian and expect to grow. He said you have to apply all diligence. Now, I, I was thinking about this last night. Physical growth seemingly just happens by itself in our, our human bodies. It, it does for me. I, I just think about food, and I grow. I've been thinking about a lot of food, and I've been growing lately. And, and Just kidding. But seemingly, though, it's like our physical growth just automatically occurs, but the reality is, is that even our physical and natural bodies do not grow by themselves. There are certain things that we have to do, and failure to do those things results in not in growth, but in death. It's, something, it's things we do just automatically. We eat, we drink, we sleep. Innate in us when we're born, that's all we do, right? That's what a baby does. They eat, they drink, they sleep. And they do a couple other things I'm not going to mention. But that's all they do. It's just part of our, our wiring, the way in which we're made. But failure to eat or drink or sleep will result in death. You have to do those things. 
Physical growth requires you to do something. You can't just sit and do nothing or you will not survive. It doesn't happen by osmosis. And I would tell you that spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. Spiritual growth doesn't happen haphazardly. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by osmosis either. You can't just show up somewhere or you can't just say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm automatically going to grow. You can't sit in a room with a Bible and just assume that I'm going to grow because I have a Bible. You have to do something. You have to be diligent in applying the principles of growth in order for you to grow in Christ. And Peter is emphatic when he, when he says, applying all diligence. It's not enough to just be, yeah, maybe we'll grow a little bit. But he says you have to be intentional. You have to desire it. You have to seek after it. You have to push forward or else you will not grow. I, I have gone through various times in my life where I've had more significant spiritual growth than others. But in every case, when I've had significant spiritual growth, it was because I was spending significant time and the significant effort in seeking after God. Reading His Word, spending time in prayer, abstaining from food and fasting. Not just praying my, my normal daily prayer, or not just doing the normal things, but, but setting aside numerous extra times and spending time with God. Turning off sports talk radio and, and listening to sermons or listening to spiritual things. Putting aside certain things so I could grow in Christ. It always requires diligence. It doesn't happen. And, and we, we live in a, a, a society that happens to just... Maybe they don't intentionally think about this. Maybe it's, it's not a, a cognitive, really a cognitive thought. But showing up for church once every six or eight weeks. And they just think that, man, they're going to be a great Christian. It doesn't happen like that. You have to actually spend time in His presence. Spend time with His Word. Spend time with His people. You actually have to do something. Apply all diligence if you want to grow. Anybody want to grow in Christ today? Anybody want to be a mature believer in Jesus Christ? Would you give Him a hand clap of praise? For his goodness to us. The second thing is this. Is that growing necessitates progression. There is a necessary progression if you're going to grow in Christ. You don't get from an infant in Christ to a mature believer. Without a progressive or a, a process and a progression that gets you from where you start to where you want to end up. Or maybe I should say it this way, to where God wants you to end up, which is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It is a progression that takes place. I have done off and on uh, exercise, strength training. And it's one of those typical things uh, about me. I know much more about healthy eating than I practice. I know much more about weightlifting and strength training than I practice. But here's one thing that is true of strength training. It takes progressive resistance in order to build muscle. 
You can't take the same resistance or some light resistance. I could, I could curl this all day. Eventually there might be some lactic acid build up and I'd be unable to, to do it. But three days from now, or, or wait 48 hours and do it again, you know what? I'm not going to be any stronger because it's, it's, it's just too light. There's not enough weight there. It doesn't do anything. So I have to pick a weight. If I'm going to lift weights, I have to pick a weight that I can only do a certain amount of reps, a certain amount of times, and for a certain amount of sets. But even if I can only do it 12 times, if I stick with that, guess what? There's going to be a little bit of muscle building, and then it's going to taper off because I'm not progressing. So when it gets to a certain point where it's easy enough, then I have to add something to it and do it, do it some more with a heavier weight. It's called progressive resistance, and it's the only way really to build strength and, and muscle is what most people would tell you. And, and I would tell you that our bodies need to be exercised, or guess what? They don't get stronger. They don't, they don't develop. Just in the same way, our spiritual bodies have to exercise, that we have to do certain things, and it is a progression and Peter lays out this progression here of, of things that you need to do. Now understand this, that it is not a sequential progression necessarily. It's not that you, you, you only work on faith and then you, you get, get all the faith you need. And I mean, I've got every, all the faith I need and now I'm going to go to moral excellence. It's not like that. I, I would say it, it's probably more like Weight training in this sense, you don't just do your arms and that's it, or biceps. Once you get your biceps as big as you want, now you move on to another body part. It's not the way it works. You work on everything all at once, but you're growing and you're adding to it. And he starts off with this, with this progression. He says, add to your, or in your faith, supply moral excellence. And I think he starts with faith because that is the central part of all of this. Nobody comes to Jesus Christ apart from having faith in him. You have to have faith. If you don't have faith, you never come to him. It has to be, by definition, it has to be first. And maybe I could say it this way and put it in that muscle building or body building or workout kind of metaphor that maybe faith is like the core. If you don't have a strong core, nothing else is going to work like it needs to. So you have to have a strong faith in Jesus Christ. And when you have that, now add to that moral excellence. Everything starts with faith in Jesus. And then he says this moral excellence, it is a living in a moral way that is pleasing to God. We live in a society that is extraordinarily immoral, where sex sells everything. I was talking about this the other day with somebody, maybe in one of my discipleship groups. Whether it's food, whether it's, it's uh, some kind of medicine for bipolar disorder, whatever it is, man, it's like sex is in everything. They're using immorality to try to sell everything in our culture, which means we need to be living above that and beyond that. He says, in your faith, supply moral excellence. And then from that, he said, knowledge Specifically here, it is knowledge about God and His Word. It's something that takes time. You don't start out as a new Christian knowing everything about the Word of God or everything about the Bible. It has to be something that is developed over time. Add to this, but continually to seek after, to know Him more, to know Him better. 
add to your knowledge self-control, which is mean, means not being controlled by fleshly or worldly desires, but putting your body in subjection to the Spirit. That's why Paul would say, he says, I die daily, or I crucify my flesh every day. Got to put it down so that I am not living and following the control of my flesh, but I'm following the control of the Spirit. To that self-control, he says, add perseverance. The word perseverance here means to bear up under difficulty or pressure. And in Peter's day, there is significant difficulty and pressure that you and I can't even imagine in our North American context. Peter would face persecution and when they would go to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. So they crucified him upside down. That takes perseverance in the face of difficulty. We, we, we're looking at it like, man, I can't go to church unless I wear a mask. And, that's not, and I don't like it. You don't like it. Nobody likes it. But it's nothing compared to what they're going through in the first century. The persecution, if you're a Christian, will kill you. It takes perseverance, and if you don't have that foundation of faith and, and self-control and, and knowledge of God and knowledge of our future, of where we're going, that in the present reality, when it gets difficult, guess what? You walk away. But you, we need perseverance. And he said, to that perseverance, add godliness, which is devotion toward God. To godliness, add brotherly kindness. You have brotherly love. Jesus would say this. He said, by your love one for another shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you don't love your fellow Christians, maybe, in the words of Jesus, you're not really his disciple. But to that brotherly kindness or that brotherly love, Philadelphia is the word there. To that, he says, add love itself, which is the word agape, that unconditional love that, that says, no matter what, I love you. No matter, no matter what's going on in your life or my life, I love you unconditionally. I love the people of God. I love the God whom I serve. I, I love his people and his world and his kingdom. To all of that, add love. These are, as I said, they're not necessarily sequential, but we should be growing in them all together. That we should be progressing in all of these. It's not enough, just I have faith in Jesus, end of story. No, you've got to add some things. You've got you to put some things in your life if you want to grow and be the person that He called us to be. We are to grow in His likeness. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Number three is that growing results in usefulness and fruitfulness. Verse 8 says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, an, um, this is, a, this is a softball question. How many of you want to be useful and fruitful in the kingdom? There's nobody I've ever met that said, no, I don't really care about that. Everybody wants it. 
how many really achieve it. That it's a, a process. We, we've got to do something if we're going to grow in Him. Jesus, when talking about His followers, He said some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. That the fruit that they produce, not everybody's going to produce the same level of fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. But everybody should produce some kind of fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. And all of us should seek to be that hundredfold kind of Christian where we're really producing an extraordinary amount of benefit in the kingdom of God. This fruitfulness is our, our, our evangelism. It's not just evangelism, but partly evangelism where we're telling other people about Jesus and we're trying to bring people into the kingdom. It is about disciple making. It's not just making converts, but it's about making people who are truly committed followers of Jesus Christ. It's about serving others in His name. Giving a cup of water to one of these people that need water in His name. And giving clothes to people in His name. And taking care of the orphans in His name. It is serving others. There is stuff that we have to do. Paul would write this. He says, whenever our, our, our works are judged at eternity. When we reach eternity and we stand before Christ he says some are going to be their works are going to be wood hay and stubble that what they produced is not worth much and it's not going to stand up it's going to be burned up in the fire because they're just doing this fluffy stuff that doesn't really matter but he says he said others are going to have gold and silver and precious stones that the works, the things that we're producing for Jesus Christ have an eternal value and they have an expensiveness to them. They have something that's going to be beneficial to the kingdom of God for eternity. I want to be that kind of Christian. I don't want to produce wood, hay, and stubble, but I want, whenever he tries my works, I want it to be gold and silver and precious stones. That it's not burned up in the fire, but it lasts for eternity. Heard a guy tell this of himself he said he was he was a new christian he was raised catholic he got into drugs became a, a drug addict addict and in the middle of all of that he found jesus he said he didn't know anything he's raised catholic he didn't know the bible didn't know any of this stuff that he needed to know and he said man he said i was ignorance on fire passionate about it but with no knowledge behind him at all. No, no understanding of what he needed to do. If we're going to be useful in the kingdom of God, we've got to add some stuff to our faith. We've got to add some knowledge of God. We've got to add some, some moral excellence. And we've got to add all of those things that Peter lists out for us. But when we're growing, he says, if these qualities are yours... And are increasing. That it's not enough just to have them. They are to increase. That the Christian I am today should be better than the Christian I was last year. That I should be more mature 
not just because a year has passed, but because I've had another year of spending time with Jesus, and I've had another year of spending time in His Word. I've had another year of doing the things of God. And if we were to do an analysis of our lives, many times years will come and go, and it's like I'm not any better than I was then. I'm not doing any more for God now than I was then. But if we're growing in Christ, we will be useful and fruitful in His kingdom. Let me hurry. Number four is this. Growing keeps eternity in view. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. It's a short verse, but it packs a lot in there. That if you don't have these qualities of faith and moral excellence and devotion and godliness and knowledge, if you don't have brotherly kindness and if you don't have love, he says you are blind. Or short-sighted. Now some may argue. I can be blind and short-sighted and be okay. But I would tell you that what he's saying is. You don't want to be blind or short-sighted. You want to be growing in Christ. You want to be doing something more and growing and maturing beyond where you started and beyond where you are. And he says, if you're blind or short-sighted, having forgotten the purification from your former sins. That word former there is, is interesting. Because the implication is this. When you were saved, you had these former sins. That God saves you out of sin. And, and when, you, when, when you come to God and you give your life to Him, He delivers you from a lot of different things. And He forgives your sins and He wipes them all away. But the, the implication here when He uses that word former is that, that if you don't have those qualities, maybe they're not former any longer. That maybe your former sins are still present with you because you've never matured and you've never got beyond where you started. You never got beyond that salvation experience and instead of former sins, they are present sins. He said you're blind or short-sighted forgetting what God has done for you. I was 11 years old when I received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. November 12, 1983. It was a Saturday night. And I was so excited. Told everybody. Church wasn't over. My dad was assistant pastor. It was a rather large church. And I went up on the platform and I told my dad and I told the pastor and everybody. I, could, man, I was so excited. But if we're not careful, we can forget what that was like. That if we're not careful, we can forget what God did for us. I was 11, man, I wasn't a great sinner. He wasn't delivering me from drugs and alcohol or any great immorality, any great addictions. But I was so excited. 
We should never lose that excitement and not forget where God has brought us from, not forget what He's delivered us from, not forget what He has kept us from. And it should all be our former sins instead of a present reality with us that we need to grow in Him so that we can keep our eternity in view. That He has saved us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It is a day that is coming. And and I'll never attain that maturity here, but there is coming a day where I will be transformed into what He wants me to be. But that day will only come if I'm still seeking Him and still following Him and still serving Him. But keep eternity in view. And lastly... Growing ensures our salvation. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. He starts with diligence. He ends here in this last lengthy sentence. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. I don't know that I can articulate it well, but that's a powerful statement. If you practice growing in Christ, if you practice adding to your faith moral excellence and to your moral excellence knowledge and to knowledge godliness and perseverance and brotherly kindness and love, if you practice adding to that, if you practice trying to mature in Christ, it makes His calling an election, sure. Or His calling and choosing, sure. That His call to salvation is assured whenever you do those things. But when you just have a salvation experience and you don't do anything else about it, what He's saying is, if you're not doing these things, you can't be sure of your calling and His choosing of you. That you can't be sure that you're never going to stumble. And here what I would tell you is the word never stumble doesn't mean you'll never commit sin. I don't know anybody that never commits sin. We should be committing less and less as we go. As we're growing in Him and maturing in Him. But I think the word never stumble means that I will never turn my back on Him. I'll never walk away from the truth of the gospel if I'm continuing to grow and continuing to mature in Christ. That I'm never going to backside and I say, well, I don't know about that. I don't know whether it's true or not. When I forget what He delivered me from, it's easy to turn away from Him altogether. But Peter says, if you add these things, if you practice these things, you will never stumble And the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Which I would say then is this. The converse is also true. If you don't do these things, the entrance to the kingdom will not be abundantly supplied to you. Which may mean that 
you never make it. That you start out on this path of following Him, but you stumble along the way and you never make it to the finish line. And what I'm preaching is not an eternal insecurity. I'm not preaching that we should always be worried that we're going to lose out with God and that we're not going to make it. But I am telling you that if you're not growing in Him, the chance of you stumbling along the way are much more increased. And the chance of you getting into the kingdom diminish as you don't follow Him. This is not easy grace. You don't earn your way to, he- to heaven. You, you, can't, you can't do enough good works to get yourself there. It doesn't work that way. It's only through Jesus Christ. But I would tell you that it's also not just I had this experience with Him and it's good forever. I punched my ticket to heaven and no matter what I do and no matter whether I serve Him or not, no matter whether I ever talk to Him again, I prayed a prayer and that's it. That's not what the Bible would tell you. That it's not a one, one salvation experience and nothing else. The rest of the time. Jesus. In the Gospels, He was talking to His disciples and He says, if your, your right hand offends you. I, I don't think He really meant for us to do this. But I think He's talking about the importance of the kingdom how serious it is. He said, if your right hand offends you, and what what he's really saying is, if your right hand causes you to sin, he said, cut it off. He said, because it's better to enter into life maimed than to go into hell whole. He said, if your right eye offends you or causes you to offend, which means to break the law, pluck it out. It's better to enter into heaven with only one eye than to go to hell with two. I don't think we should be cutting off our hands and plucking out our eyes, but I think we should take seriously what he's saying that is this that if you're a follower of him but you keep doing all these things that maybe you'll you're in that stumbling zone that you're not growing you're not adding to your faith moral excellence you're not adding knowledge and perseverance and brotherly love about you but I don't want to be satisfied with where I am I want to grow and mature into everything he calls me to be would you stand together growing requires diligence it necessitates progression It results in usefulness and fruitfulness. 
It keeps eternity in view. And it ensures our salvation. Physical growth follows our birth. Our natural birth, when you're born, you eat, you drink, you sleep, you grow. Spiritual growth by necessity follows our new birth. That when we come to Jesus, the expectation is that we will grow. You can grow in faith toward God and in knowledge of Him. Maybe before you come to Him, that's part of how some people come to Him. They keep hearing about Him. They read His Word. And they come to faith. And they have some knowledge. Paul's a great example of that. He, he says of himself, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew it all, man. He followed the law. He did all this stuff. But he didn't know Jesus. When he comes to Jesus, his knowledge doesn't go away. He still knows the Old Testament, probably unlike any other writer of the New Testament, he knows it better. He had some knowledge, but he didn't have salvation. Then when he got salvation, he kept adding to his knowledge. And he even said that Jesus met him in the wilderness, and he had a physical visit with Jesus as one born out of season. I don't have time to unpack that, but he had some things he still had to grow in in knowledge. He had a lot, but he had it to grow still. So you can have some knowledge and you can have faith. You can be a good person. But by necessity, maturity in Christ follows becoming a Christian and follows after being born again. And I, for one, am thankful that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect, sinless life. I mess up all the time. But he lived a perfect, sinless life in my place and in your place. And he went to the cross and died for your sin and mine. And he was buried in a tomb and he was raised on the third day so that you and I could have eternal life, that we could have a life with him. But when we get that, it's time to grow and to be made into his image. Once again, Romans 8, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. One of our primary purposes in this life is to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to be saved here. It's not enough to have an interest to heaven there, but to grow in Him right here. There is a saying that you can be young in years, but old in hours, if you get serious about growing in Christ. I've seen people that come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're so passionate, they're gung-ho about it. Everything revolves around God and His kingdom and around church. And they grow at an exponential rate compared to others who sat on a pew for decades. You don't have to be around Jesus for a long time to be older in hours than some who've been there for decades. 
You just have to seek after Him and want to grow. And right where you are, would you just meditate on the Lord? Would you ask Him to help you grow? Would you ask Him to help you to be everything that He wants you to be? To be the Christian that He wants you to be? To be the mature believer that He wants you to be? We need you today. We want you today. We want to grow in our relationship with you. We want you to make us in your image today. God, we want you to make us into everything you've called us to be. God, we need you. We want you. We love you. We desire to follow you completely and fully, Lord. We desire to follow after you completely, Lord. God, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus.